Well, we've been looking at this idea of uh, discipleship. We're using this metaphor of these four chairs. And, um, you know, I, uh, I just I felt a, a need to just kind of say this this morning. Um, and it's totally me. It's a guilt thing for me. Nobody's ever said anything to me here. Uh, it's just, I feel differently when we do a topical series. And the reason for that, and some of you have been around church for a long time, and some of you grew up in some of the same circles I did, and I was just taught that the, man, the only way you preach is you preach verse by verse, exegetically going through a book. And, um, you know, over the years, I, most of the time, you, those of you who have been here, you know that most of the time I do that, but occasionally we do a topical series, and every time I do it, I feel guilty, um, because that's not, that wasn't the upbringing I had. And, and here's the reason why uh, we, we do this, and especially with this topic. When we get to Matthew chapter 28, and Jesus says to his disciples, go make disciples of all the nations, I don't think they had a meeting afterwards going, okay, how do we make disciples? Um, they, they just went through the process with Jesus. Uh, they just lived it. They, they knew exactly what he meant by that because Jesus just did that with them. But when we preach through the gospel, we tend to take story by story, and we break it up into so many um, smaller sections that we don't ever really get to the big overarching storyline that, that's going on. And so we, we miss that. And the other reason that we miss it um, is because our gospel writers, uh, Lord bless them, they were Eastern and they weren't Westerners. Um, and I'll just be honest with you, as you study uh, Bible study methods and different things like this, the gospel writers were not as concerned with order of events as they were with themes. They're, they're more thematic writers. And, and so sometimes, especially John, he's the worst. Don't, don't read John for order of events. John totally takes a story and he'll just throw it into a place because it makes the point that he's making along with his theme. Luke, a little bit more historically accurate in order, but the gospel writers didn't always put things in order like we like them to do. And so when we look at, and especially not only that, but those of you who read the Gospels, you know, you don't realize sometimes you read two chapters, that might have been six months. It took a while for Jesus to get to a place. He was at a place for a period of time. So they've written these books called Harmony of the Gospels, which was really impactful to uh, discipleship and Dan Spader and other people that, that say, look, when we look at this, we see that God just didn't, Jesus didn't just walk up to the disciples who were fishing. And this has always been my trouble, right? These disciples are out here fishing, and Jesus walks up, right? And in the movies that they made in the 80s, you know, depicting this, Jesus is wearing a white bathrobe with a purple sash. And he just says, these guys are fishing. Come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And they drop everything, and they follow Jesus. And there's no dad in the background going, you guys better get back here. Where are you going? And so there's so much behind the scenes that are happening. Jesus was in the Galilee area, theologians and, and research will, will say, before he said those words to the disciples for months. They had heard his teachings. They were hanging around. Jesus, in chair one, had already said to them, come and see. And they had come and seen. Now we know from history and, and just, again, research, that the idea of a rabbi, a teacher, having disciples was very common during that time. In fact, the region that we're talking about with at least these disciples up in the Galilees, that was like the Mecca, the center for discipleship making. 
See, it was away from Jerusalem where all the religious leaders were and the people that lived up there, some of them lived up there for the reason. We don't, we don't like the system anymore. We don't like the, the main people anymore. And they would go up in the country and we're going to be purists to God's word and we're going to study this. And people would go up there and, and make disciples. And what we find is with the, the disciples is that they're not disciples. They're fishermen. And so the, the most common thought is that they never got picked. Now, that phrase resonates with an adult male for some of you. Because some of you remember schoolyard picks. We're, we're going to play a game. Now, I learned early on it's better to be the captain than in the line. Like, I want to be the captain. I get to pick. Because nobody wants to be there going, oh, man, they picked him before me? They picked that guy? He always drops the ball. What does that say about me? So the disciples are fishing. That means nobody ever picked them. Or perhaps they never found somebody worthy to follow. And so when Jesus says, come follow me, they knew him, they had heard about him, they had seen him, and they're like, let's go. So we, we do these topical series so we get the bigger picture of what's happening, especially with disciple making. So we have four chairs. I've added a chair. Some of you have seen it that are here. I don't know whether you can see it when you're watching, but we have our blow-up flame chair, which represents the seeker to which Jesus is going to say, come and see. Now, the second chair we've had up here is, an, is a high chair, and it represents the infant, the, the young believer that Jesus is, is basically saying, kind of, come and follow. Now, I've added a, a play chair up here because the infant doesn't stay in the chair for a while. He, becomes a he or she becomes a child. So we're looking at that period of time. And we have a bigger chair over here that represents the adolescence that's, that Jesus says, come and die. And then we've got a couch up here. It's the parent that is the disciple makers inviting people to come along. And so we're looking at these four chairs. And I'm supposed to be preaching on the blow-up chair, which you guys have been waiting for with the flames. But I, I'm putting it to the end. Because for most of us, it's been a long, long time since we sat in that chair. And some of you can't even remember it. And so I want to talk about the other chairs first and then come back to that. So we're going to talk about chair number two. And in chair number two, we're going to talk about the joy of chair two, the journey of chair two, and the junk of chair two. So uh, the joy of chair two is, is this. Quite, quite honestly, chair two represents new life. It represents new life. And I mean, right, when, when you got a baby, okay, are you with me here? The baby represents new life, right? That's exciting. And 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18, one of my favorite verses says, Therefore, if, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Just think about that. Anyone who's in Christ, he's a new creation. What an what a awesome statement that is. The old has passed away. But not completely, Paul. Behold, the new has come. And all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself 
and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So the joy of chair two is it represents new life. Ephesians chapter two, you were dead in your trespasses and sin, and now you're alive. And the reality is new life should be separated. Or not separated. Man, my, my PowerPoint is all out of order. New life uh, should be celebrated is the, is the one that I'm somehow missing in there. can't find. There it is. New life should be celebrated and to some degree expected. Healthy things grow and they reproduce. And I, you know, when you think about the celebration of new life, and if you've been around for a while, you, you think of Luke chapter 15 and the three uh, parables that Jesus gave of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And in the first one, in the, in the parable of the lost coin, Jesus says, at the end of it, he's talking about or lost sheep, and talking about the, the finding of the lost sheep, Jesus says, just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. There's joy in heaven when that person repents. There's, there's a celebration. Jesus goes on and he he gives the other two illustrations and he changes up the wording just a little bit. In, in the second one, he says, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who is found. And in the last one, he says, it's fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and he is alive. He was lost and he is found. There's a celebration that happens in heaven when somebody comes to Christ. There's a celebration that happens in heaven when somebody comes to Christ. Now, when I was thinking about this, think about all the things we celebrate. Our birthdays. I survived another year. Let's have a party. Anniversaries. I survived and we survived another year. Let's have a party. Retirement. I'm at the end. Let's have a party. Our nation is, is, is a year older. Let's blow things up. Veterans, let's barbecue. Like all these celebrations. I can't think of another example in Scripture where the Bible says we had a party because of something that happened on earth. New life should be celebrated. And then obviously new life needs to be nurtured. You just, you just don't bring a baby home and say, well, the fridge is over there. Help yourself. Okay? Your room is the second on the right. And please, the bathroom is on the left. Okay? It, it, I, if you, that's your parenting technique. It's not going to work. Right? New life has to be nurtured. And it's interesting. The Bible uses this example. In uh, second, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, Paul says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk. Be, be nurtured, be fed, that by it you may grow into salvation, if indeed you have tasted the Lord's good. Paul says, look, you got to grow up. And how do you grow up? You're nurtured by God's word. But the writer of Hebrews takes the same example, and he turns it upside down. And he says, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. So here's the idea. New life should be celebrated, and it should be nurtured. 
But if it goes on for too long, it becomes a problem, doesn't it? You don't want to stay in that chair. New life needs to be protected. Right? We, when you have a baby, when, you, when you've got a little one, child, you, uh, you've got to keep an eye on those things. Okay? They wander off quickly. What, what are you constantly saying? Uh, maybe this isn't your, this is what I remember saying. Don't put that in your mouth. I mean, for a, for a, a toddler, a little one, it's like, it, it, it must be there to put in my mouth. Don't put that in your mouth. I have a puppy, and same, same thing. Okay? So in 1 Peter, uh, Peter addresses the, the elders. So I exhort the elders among you as fellow elders, witness of suffering of Christ, as well partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed, shepherd the flock. Shepherd, feed, protect, guide, all those things. So new life needs direction. We, we recognize the idea that when, when Jesus says, go make disciples, he said, teaching them everything that I have taught you. There, that's direction. In 2 Timothy, Paul says, you therefore, my son, in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, the things that you have heard me say, entrust to reliable men. In other words, this needs to continue to be passed on. There's direction. And this is a wonderful, wonderful thing. It should be celebrated. It's enjoyed. It's, it's, it, it is a pleasure. Some of you, I'm not going to quite get the quote quite right. And proud grandfather moment, and I posted on Facebook. So my granddaughter made a video on my daughter's phone. Or on my, yeah, my daughter's phone. Sends it to my, my wife. And she says, uh, paraphrasing a little bit, Grammy, can you send me something of what you look like when you weren't old? Now, I'm just saying, if one of you said that to me, I would be offended. But, but she gets away with it. It's age appropriate. I said, yeah, send her a wedding picture. Hey, but that picture, we were, we were young and good looking once. Send that to her. This stage of being an infant, and I, I have this, this chair up here. I, it's not really a chair. This, uh, what do you call these things? It's not a teeter-totter, but something like that, okay? A little game. Yeah, it's like a rocking chair. Yes. Rocking, it's a, it's a rocking dinosaur. These, this, is a, this is a great stage. But it should be a stage, not a destination. Man, it's okay to be here. You don't want to stay here. And some of you have adult children that you're kind of like going, yeah, you don't. Right? And so the journey of chair two, when somebody is in this chair, um, what we were talking about when we were, when we're using the word infant, we're, we're talking about somebody who's, who's brand new in Christ. It's not chronological, so don't be offended. You're brand new in Jesus. You're new life in Jesus. And it's categorized by, by ignorance. Okay? They don't know any better. Okay? And so it's, it's okay. And child. Sometimes, children are, the child one is a little bit harder because you as a parent are like going, 
do they not know better or did they just call me out, right? You're sitting there going, man, I don't know if that was defiance. But in this stage, you know, it's mostly ignorance. Now, Dan Spader in his book has four chairs. And those of you who read uh, Disciple Shift a few years ago uh, when we offered it and some of the groups went through it, um, he doesn't use chairs, but he has five stages. Lost, uh, infant, child, youth, adult, uh, young person, uh, older. And so the, the, the idea of infant and child is slightly different. Both of them are represented in, Christian, uh, in, in the Bible. And so the role of the disciple maker when you have an infant, man, just think about this for a second. Some of you, it's been a while. What do you have to do for a baby? Everything. Oh my goodness. Okay? So what we end up doing is we share our life with them. I mean, I'm sorry, folks, but you remember when you have a baby, I know that the world doesn't revolve around them, but it does for a period of time. Everything is theirs. You, you start to look at each other as a couple and you go, who are you again? And what was our, what was our relationship? Because I don't remember. Forget it. I'm too tired to think about it. I mean, it's just, it's just a lot where you're like everything in your life is being poured out to them. And it's fine because you love them. But you don't want that going on for too long. You're, you're pretty motivated. No, you need to learn to put that in your mouth yourself. Okay. I don't want to sit on the potty. You're going to learn to sit on the potty. We share new truths. Oh, it's so great having, having young moms that are my daughters, you know, because they're so proud of their kids. And, and uh, hopefully she's not, she's not listening, but Kirsten was, was sending out, she's showing April colors. And she's like, she got, seven out of, she got it right seven out of 10 times. And in my mind, I'm like going, did she get it right? Are you going, do you want the pink on? Or the blue one? Pink? Like we, we so want our kids to get it. And it's, it's fun. We're teaching them stuff. And so we teach them new things. We teach them colors and numbers and words and appropriate words. And when it's appropriate to say those words. I mean, all sorts of things. We, we just share truths with them. And now, now think about this spiritually. Do we have to teach new Christians words? Yeah, we do. Do we need to teach them appropriate words? Oftentimes, my youth pastor, um, when uh, he got saved, he got uh, saved under a guy named David Hawking. Some of you might remember the name. And his first, his first job as a servant in the church was for the college group David Hawking would teach, and, and my youth pastor, Jim McKinga, would bring the podium up and set it down right before David Hawking. That was his whole job. And he was a brand new Christian, did not grow up in the church, very worldly, and uh, something happened. I don't remember what happened, whether he tripped or dropped the something, and he let out an inappropriate word. We, we like to say the, the language of Canaan. And you know, I can't, I can't even imagine. I'm like, you said that in church? 
But you know what? When you have a young person, you don't, you don't, you correct it, right? But, but it's, it's, you know, I'm not trying to say it's okay. It's, it, we expect to have to teach them something. And we share with them new habits. There's certain things that you want to begin to do differently that you didn't do before. This is what discipleship is. We're going to teach you to read your Bible. We're going to teach you to go to church regularly. We're going to, we're going to teach you to pray. Why do we assume that people just know how to pray? And so, you know, an infant Christian might be saying something like, wait, what? We go to church every Sunday? You, You want me to read this book by itself? By myself? It's confusing. Now, a child, okay, is doing a little bit more on their own, Oh, infant saying, sorry, that I just said those. This was a Putman's wheel, and I've shared this before. It's been a lot of our stuff, um, you know, and so we've got these share things that we just shared, and, and uh, good stuff there. All right, the child, they're correct. They, they are characterized by selfishness. Parents, grandparents, any of you want to correct me here? Yeah. We don't teach children to say mine. We don't have to. Not only will they say mine, but they'll fight for it. And so the role of the disciple maker when you have a child is to connect them to something bigger than themselves. So we connect them to God. Right? We, we got to say, look, this isn't, this isn't about you. This story is about God. I'm glad that you found God in your story, but you're just a minor story character in this bigger story of God. We want to connect them to the family of the church. Right? We, we start to recognize, oh, there's other people around me. And most of all, we need to connect them to purpose. Man, what, what is it you're doing? And the characteristics of maybe a child might be something like, this is from Putman's book, I don't know if this church is meeting my needs. And I don't know how many times over the years people have said that in different settings and are coming in, going out, whatever it is. Why do we have to learn new songs? I just want to say, Chris, never heard that song before. Awesome song. That was just wow uh, this morning. Thank you for that. Now, next week, we're going to talk about the adolescent and their, their ability to serve. They're, we're moving them to God-centered, other people-centeredness, service. Uh, the role of the disciple member is to equip them to minister and oppor- give them opportunities and release them. But all this comes from watching what Jesus did. And in in the first few chapters of John, as Jesus is calling his disciples, they go to a wedding. Do you remember that? And Jesus is invited to a wedding and and his disciples with him, which seems pretty weird because I've had a few weddings. And I'm like, oh, do we have to invite this person? Okay, and guest. I never said, and 12 guests. Okay? Because I'm paying for the dinner. But this was, this was the culture. Well, if we're going to invite that rabbi, we've got to invite his disciples. Because the disciples followed the rabbi. That's what they did. In fact, during those days, it wasn't uncommon to see a rabbi and people following behind him. In fact, there was a saying in those days that dis- people would say to disciples, or disciples would say to one another, here's the saying, may you be covered in the dust of, of your rabbi. 
You're following behind him. May you be covered in the dust. It was a compliment, by the way. And so we're inviting these we're inviting these disciples. So Jesus goes up and they're traveling together. They're going to a wedding together. He turns the water into wine, which Baptists go, what? And then he travels to another area. And when we put that all together, there's, there's months of Jesus just hanging out with these guys. I know that we read it and they go, this happened and this happened and this happened. And we can have three sermons on that. No, there's a period of time in there. And what we see is that Jesus is spending relational time with his disciples. It's not what just happened at the wedding. It's what happened all the way to the wedding. And John doesn't report it. Matthew doesn't report it. We don't have the stories of the campfires, the teachings, the interactions. In fact, John gets to the end of his gospel and he says, I guess if I wrote everything down that Jesus did, it would take all the books in the world. That was his experience in walking with Jesus. I remember one time going to the grocery store with my youth pastor. I don't even remember what we were getting. I remember we were walking up, and he thumped me, pushed me. He said, go open the door for that lady. Now, is there a verse that says, thus shall open door? Ladies, I think so. No, there's not. But it was part of discipleship that day. It was a good part. Still remember it. There's so many things that happened on the journey. Jesus taught his disciples to be dependent on God's word. And one of the reasons why I know that is Acts chapter 2. Because Peter is quoting the Old Testament the same way Jesus quoted it. They learn dependence on the Holy Spirit. And sometimes for us, it's, that's just so hard. What does that mean? What does it mean to, to wait on the Lord? What does it mean to hear from the Lord? Dependence on prayer. As I was looking through Luke again, and I've preached through it, and, and there's just, there's all these prayers in the book of Luke. And, and there's at least eight times where we see Jesus going someplace and praying. And that's, that's not counting the cross where he cried out to God. It's not counting the, the upper room where he blessed something. I mean, there's just all these times where Jesus is just trying to show them. And I, and I've, I know you've, I've said this before, and, and I apologize. You know, I'm not an angel. I don't want to harp on something, but this is a good thing to harp on. If Jesus needed to spend time in prayer, if Jesus needed to, how much more do we? And he shows us the importance of the obedience to the Father's will. Jesus is constantly saying, I came here to do the Father's will. Well, aren't you God? Yeah, Trinity. <laughs> Man, I'm doing the Father's will. Now, I was pretty clear. There is absolute joy in having new life. We need to celebrate it more. Um, children are fun. Uh, it's a joy. Um, but, again, there should be a stage, not a destination. Now, the illustration aside here of a, of a purple dinosaur rocking chair 
and a high chair. Okay, if you're, you're looking up here, you're going, I don't want to sit in that chair. I wouldn't fit in that chair. Rich put out the, uh, the blow-up chair for the uh, filming on Wednesday of the, of the podcast that we're, video cast that we're doing. And I said, Rich, I don't think I should sit in that chair. Okay, we need it for several more weeks. I don't want the popping sound. I don't want to experience that. Okay, um, these chairs look okay, comfortable. I'll go for the couch, right? But the older we get, the harder it is to get out of that. But we're just using these as examples, the reality is this stage, infant children, it's fun to stay in it because everybody does everything for you. Nothing's expected of you. You just get to come along. Somebody puts you in the chair, takes you out of the chair. I remember one time I was leading a junior high uh, water skiing trip. And uh, we're at the lake, and, and uh, kids are, you know, signing up for times on the boat and all this kind of stuff. And I said, the lunch stuff is right up here. And uh, you just make your sandwich. There's peanut butter and jelly. There's, you know, this stuff. It's in the cooler. And, you know, put everything away when you're done. And uh, this one kid, his eyes were about, junior high, seventh grade, his eyes were about this big around. And uh, he says, uh, Pastor, Pastor Dave, we have, to, we have to make our own sandwiches? I said, because I'm sarcastic, so I said, only if you want to eat. Seventh grade, this kid had never made a sandwich. Never made a sandwich. I mean, it's not that hard. I made him figure it out on his own. I, didn't even, I wouldn't even disciple him at that point in time. He probably got, one of the, probably got one of the girls to make him a sandwich. I don't know. But it, it's fun to be in that stage. You don't want to stay there. So again, the idea of, hey, it's okay as a newborn baby to crave pure spiritual milk. But if you're there too long, then you're like a child. And you know, the reality is in a church, the nursery can only handle so many kids. Right? Man, with all the, you know, advancements in technology and, and medicine and all this stuff, there's these people that are having, like, the Octomom, right, eight kids. Uh, was it John and Kate plus eight was one of the shows. Could you imagine? What? Eight infants? That's crazy. Octomom was single. John and Kate lost their marriage. I mean, that's, it's just too much. And those guys had, like, help because they were on sitcoms or, I mean, reality shows or something. Right? That's, you can only handle so many at a time. They're great. Children need to be disciplined. Let me say it again. Children need to be disciplined. In Colossians 1.28, it says, him we proclaim, Jesus, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggle with all his, Jesus' energy, that he powerful, the Spirit powerfully works in me. The goal of having children, please at least give me, give me an amen on this. The goal of having children is that we want to bring them to maturity. Okay? 
Good night. We want them to grow up and move out and get their own house and job. The goal is to make them ministers, not members. You know, we always we talk about membership. I had in my little video there. We, we talk about we, we, the goal is to make ministers of infants and children and adolescents, not just members. I was going to put a picture up this, but I remember it must have been in the 80s. Maybe it was 70s. I, when American Express came out and, and they had all these, these stars promoting the American Express card. Some of you guys remember. And what was their, what was their slogan? Membership has its what? Privileges. Yeah. I want to be a member so I can have my privileges. That's a great tagline for American Express. It's not a church tagline. Because our goal from Ephesians chapter 4, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. It's all of them. For the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. Here's this verse from Colossians again. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggle with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. Look, the goal, and here's, here's one that we're struggling with in our culture today. The goal is to help children and infants and children and adolescents learn how to endure hardship. They got to learn to press through, to keep going. Okay, now sports helps with that because they lose and the coach says, all right, good game, here's what we need to do better. But there's, we need to teach kids how to keep going. And this is true of, of ministering and discipleship. Like, life is hard. Church is hard. Ministry is hard. Like, we need to learn to keep going. And Paul learns not only that, he models that by rejoicing and suffering. Okay? That's a good discipleship 102, 103 class. When we look at the life of the Apostle Paul, the goal is to give ourselves up for the sake of the church. It's my desire to see more people in chair one and two. But it's our goal to get everyone who lands in chair one and two out of chair one and two. We got to get them out. So the questions we're going to be asking throughout this series is where are you in the process? Now, I know these are silly chairs, and you go, well, I, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, can, I can't sit in most of these chairs. That's not the point. Spiritually, what stage are you in? And this isn't an age thing. I'm sorry. It's a maturity. It's a Christian maturity thing. And I think most of us, most of us would say, we're probably somewhere in between chair two and, and three, like, uh, somewhere in there. But what does our behavior look like? And Where do you want to be? Where do you want to get to? What would be, and, and 
if you can identify that, then what, what do you need to do to get there? And, and that's an individual thing. When we talk about making disciples, we go, man, it's so overwhelming. Leading somebody to Christ. Teaching them every, I don't know everything that Jesus, like how do I do, there's, there's processes in place. But sometimes the fear of having to do that makes us just sit in a place that God never intended us to be. I don't know if I can make disciples, so I'm just more comfortable sitting here. Or I don't see myself as a disciple maker, but I'm a good armchair quarterback. <laughs> I've watched a lot of football over the last few weeks. Okay, I'm not proud. Well, I'm not unproud of it. I, I've done it. It's playoffs, right? And one of the, my, sometimes I'll see one of those guys get hit, and I'll go, I don't want to be a football player. I mean, I know they get paid a lot of money, but that looked like it hurt. And sometimes when you watch the disciple-making process, you go, that does not look that fun to me. You know what? Sometimes parenting isn't that fun. Shh, don't tell the kids. But when it's working out, it is so rewarding. So rewarding. When your kids get it, so wonderful. And we want to experience that. Father God, thanks that you um, called us, not just into your kingdom, but into the ministry of making disciples. Thank you that you don't just leave it to us to just kind of go, oh, what should I do? Thank you that you don't leave us to do it alone. You empower us with your spirit. You guide us with your spirit and you inform us with your word. You help us in community. God, if we're honest, some of us have stayed in one place way too long. And we need to grow up in some ways. If our children or grandchildren stayed in that state, we would be embarrassed. But somehow we've just been, become comfortable in a place that you've never meant us to be. So I pray that you convict us. I pray that you'd open up our eyes and show us. I pray that you give us hope guidance. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.